Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I want to just share something with you guys because I want to stir our faith. Um, there's someone here today that some of you guys may not know the story, some of you guys do, someone who uh, some of us were praying for, um, and, and things looked really bad. In fact, I remember getting a phone call saying that within 24 hours, a decision was going to have to be made to remove life support uh, because there was no response, there was no brain activity, there was none of this and that. And, and so many people were praying, and, and I, I promise you, like, I, if, I could, if I could remove myself and Patty from the story, I would, but I can't because we went there and prayed. But Patty had this feeling of like, we, this is not right. Just like so many people did and so many people were praying. This is not right. This can't be the Lord. This can't happen. And so, but, but Patty prayed and said, you know what, God, if, if we're supposed to go, I feel this trembling in me, but if we're supposed to go, I, I just need you, I, I, we need an invite. We need an open door for us to go up there and we'll know that, that it's, it's time for us to go. And about 30 minutes later, a text came saying that uh, the person's wife would love for us to come and pray. And so we went in, and, and, um, and Beth, uh, who was his wife's brother, was there. And he came in and prayed with us. And we just prayed over him simple prayers, asking the Lord to do what only he could do, believing that there was more in store for his life than to lay there on a bed and die. And, and against every single medical diagnosis and to the confoundment of the doctors, like, starting that afternoon, like, recovery began to start. Slowly but surely, recovery began to start. And, and I remember talking to his wife, and she was like, I, people are saying so many things. And I was like, listen, you just settle and anchor on the goodness of God. And no matter what anybody says, you settle yourself and you anchor yourself on the goodness of God. And don't be moved by what you hear, and don't be moved by what you see. And, and it was awesome because she, as she was talking, you could just hear the faith in her belief and stuff. And so I just want, Josh, will you stand up real quick? Beth, will you stand up real quick? Come on. I know it's embarrassing. Come on. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you, Father, for healing. And I just want to pray. Can you guys just extend your hands towards them? Father, we pray that, that in this what they've gone through, that nothing was lost that was meant to be kept. God, that only the, things, the only things that were lost were things that were never meant to be. And that moving forward, God, as healing continues to unfold and as he begins to, to continue to, to be restored, God, that you would not only restore who he was, God, but that you would bring him into a place of who he's never been in you. I thank you for peace and joy to rule in their home. I thank you for love and intimacy to flow in their home. I thank you, Father, that you don't, not, you don't just make things the way that they were, God, but you make them the way they were meant to be. And so we just praise you for that. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name for everything you're doing. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Come on, doesn't that stir your faith up? Like, like. Man, someone was asking me this week about praying for healing and stuff, and they were talking about things they hadn't seen. And I said, man, what have we ever lost by just believing? Like, what have you ever lost by seeing somebody hurting and believing that God loves them and wants to touch them? And if, if, if nothing happens in that moment, a seed was sown at least that said, you know what? I don't care if I make a fool of myself, and I don't care if, if what people think of me. Like, I love you enough to get on my knees and pray for you right here out in public and tell you that there's a God who created you who loves you. And, and how do you know that you're not sowing a seed that, that maybe someday, months later, someone comes along and waters? 
And then someone else waters. And then all of a sudden, their heart is open to this God who loves them because somebody cared enough to actually act on what the word says and to believe. Like, come on, what have we ever lost by that? We've never lost anything. God's never told us to defend his name. He's told told us to obey his word. He's never called us to results. He's only ever called us to obedience. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And thank you that we're never apart. I thank you that he's with us always, even to the end of the age. Come on, guys, listen, like, like as, as we're living in these crazy times that we're in, like, like the enemy is getting bolder and bolder and more out front and in your face. Like, I don't believe that's supposed to be met by, by withdrawal by the church, by us back, shrinking back. Like, I feel like I was talking to a pastor here in Greenville um, this past week that I met with, and he said, what do you feel like is happening? And I said, I feel like the gray is going away. Like, like where this cultural Christianity where we could be comfortable in the middle and just kind of, well, I don't want us to defend this person and I don't want to offend that person and I don't want to say too much here and I don't want to say too much there. Like that's going away. Like the black is becoming blacker, but as that happens, the light is shining brighter. Like the gray is going away. It's time for us to actually say, like, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Like I can't back down from this gospel. Like Paul was saying, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Like there is nothing that saves man but the gospel of Jesus. Like, it's time, honestly, I'm telling you, like, step up. Step out. Like, like act in faith. Give him something to breathe on. Like, just give the Spirit of God something he can breathe on. Whether they respond in the moment or not, that truth, that seed was sown. And when they lay their head down on their pillow at night, the Spirit of God can start bringing back into remembrance the truth that was spoke to them. And all of a sudden, that hound of heaven is after them. Because the seed of truth is in there. And it's just wanting to bear fruit. Like, the seed of truth wants to bear fruit. It wants to burst forth into life. It's not a wimpy, like Hannah was saying, it is not a wimpy, weak, timid thing. Like, it is bursting with life. It's the word of God. He spoke, and the sun came into existence. And you've been entrusted, I've been entrusted with the word of God in our mouths. Will not prevail against it. Um, you guys doing good? Man, it's a good day to have a good day. Like, if you wake up in the morning thankful, if you wake up in the morning literally reminding yourself, I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I've got the Spirit of God living inside of me. I am not who I was. Like, he bought my life with a price. He saw something in me that he thought was worth the life of Jesus. Like, when you're walking around the mall shopping for Christmas presents, you see something, and then you see the price tag attached to it, and then you begin to evaluate in your mind, is it worth the price that they're asking? And when God was looking from eternity past and saw you, he looked at you, he saw the price tag, and it was the blood of his son, and he said, so worth it. So worth it. I'm buying that. I have to have him. I have to have her. Come on, that's so worth it. That's a great deal. Like, literally, he he says that. He says, like, count the cost. He's not meaning, like, figure out how hard it's going to be to follow Jesus before you start. No, he thinks that if you actually count the cost, you'll be like, this is the greatest deal ever. All he wants is my sin, my guilt, my shame, my condemnation, all the things I was never created for. And I get righteousness, peace, and joy. 
Like you count that cost, you're going to be like, yes, I want it. You'll be like the people in the book of Acts, what must we do? Come on, hopefully, hopefully. There's a Bible-believing, born-again Christian that can answer that question with the truth of the gospel. Repent. Turn for the forgiveness and, and be baptized and have your sins forgiven and be filled with the Spirit of God. And then deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Wake up every day, eyes fixed on Jesus, eye single, whole body flooded with light. Come on, people are like, man, the world's getting so dark. You know what the truth of the matter is? If your eyes single, your body's flooded with light. Like, yeah, you, you might see darkness, but through the lens of light, through the lens of what God could do, through the lens of the hope of the gospel. Like, if you're getting consumed with the darkness, it's because your eyes aren't on Jesus and the light is not flooding your body. Like, it's time to take your eyes off of the darkness and put them back on Jesus and let the light of the gospel flood your heart and your mind once again. Let your whole body, come on, if the eye is single, the whole body is flooded with light. I believe if our eyes are single, the whole body, the body of Christ, will be flooded with light. What will happen if darkness tries to come in? It will be flooded with light. Come on, it will be flooded with light. Um, I want to I finish off something I started talking about a few weeks ago when we talked about forgiveness uh, and, and how forgiveness under grace in the new covenant looks different than forgiveness under the old. In, in the old covenant, it was, you know, if you, then I, there was this, this if, you will, if, you will, if you will ask forgiveness, then you will be forgiven, and if you don't forgive, then you won't be forgiven, and there was a lot of requirements, just like most of the law had, that said, you know, if you, and people would point and say, well, Jesus said this, and it's like, man, you got to realize that everything Jesus was saying wasn't to new covenant believers. Make sure you rightly divide the word of truth and know when was he talking to people who were under the law about the way that they had to live their lives under the law and when was he prophesying about the new covenant that was to come in his blood that had not come yet because he had not shed his blood and had not been sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven and the new covenant and the ability to be born again had not been made available to mankind yet. And so we talked all about that. If you missed that, go back two weeks, I guess, on, on either the podcast or YouTube or wherever you can get it. Um, but but the, the scriptures we talked about is how in the new covenant, there's always this idea that we're to forgive others as we have been forgiven, not so that we can be. In, in, in Ephesians 4.23, Paul's writing, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. When did God forgive us in Christ? While we were in our sin. Before you even knew that you needed forgiveness, Jesus declared it is finished. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and in Colossians, Paul gets even stronger. He says, so those of you who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Does that sound like as soon as they know that they did wrong and you held it against them and you walked around angry and in unforgiveness long enough that they got the clue and they came to you and they groveled, then you forgive them? Or does that sound like allowing the forgiveness that was given to me freely to flow through me freely, to extend freely what I've received freely. And so he says, beyond all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You can't do that. You can't live that way apart from love. It's love that will cause you to want to walk with a heart of forgiveness, to want to be like the Father. When's the last time you went to God 
when you had done something and you went to him and you said, you know, I, I messed up. And he, well, I was wondering when you'd come. I've been offended for the last three weeks. I've been angry. If you haven't felt my presence, that's why. Come on. He's not like that. He's the father on the porch that says, my heart is already forgiveness before you even knew you needed to ask. And all I needed to see was that your heart was turned towards me and I ran to you and overwhelmed you before you asked me to. And when you tried to come up with all the reasons that I shouldn't be who I always have been and always will be, I wouldn't even hear it. Father, forgive me. I've sinned. I'm not even worthy to be called. Shh, 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 shh. You don't even know my love for you. You don't understand what grace is. If you think that your actions made you unworthy, then you'll think your right actions made you worthy. And I don't want that entering into your thinking. So before you can even say it, I'm going to overwhelm you with my love and let you know it's not what you're doing right that has caused me to love you. It's who I am. And then he calls us to be like him. Yeah. And I, I wanted to get to this in the other message, but you're yeah, right. Um, and I probably won't get to all of it today, but that's okay. Um, but, but one of the biggest reasons that we have to make sure that we are walking, walking in forgiveness. Not that we're people who will forgive, but that we're people who are walking in forgiveness, that we're being like the Father. Is there something to us going to God when we know we've done wrong? Yes, but that's for our part, not for his. That doesn't change him. He doesn't turn from his swivel chair and go, oh, okay, well, now that you've asked me to forgive you, now my face will be towards you. Now I'll love you. Now I'll be kind to you. Now I'll be gracious towards you. No, when we go to him, we find that he's always been the same and that he wasn't changed by what we did. We were. And we find nothing but grace and mercy in our time of need because the blood of Jesus has forever silenced the blood of Abel that cried out for justice. And mercy triumphed over justice. And then if we can become like that, that's not to say that, that people never have, would never come to us and say, hey, I did this wrong, would you forgive me? What they'll find is that we weren't angry, judgmental, and seeing them less than he saw us until they came and ask forgiveness, they would find my heart has already been forgiveness towards you. They would find, listen, I love you. I've already forgiven it. And if you needed to do that for your sake, that's awesome. But I promise you, my heart towards you has been forgiveness from the moment I realized there was something wrong. Because that was his heart towards me. How could I ever be less to you than he was to me? How could I stand in church with my arms open wide, praising and thanking him for grace, and give myself the right for one second to withhold that same thing from another? And if we walk that way, one of the biggest things that we'll do is it will guard our hearts against offense. And I've, just, I've been reading just kind of about the end times lately, just studying with some of the things that the Bible teaches about that and what Jesus said about it. And, and if you have your Bibles, um, you can open to Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, because there, Jesus gave a really, really stark warning here. I'm going to read this out of the New King James because I, I like the wording of it. The wording's the same in all of the versions. I just like the words that it actually used because when you look in the Greek, it's, it's, it's the word that, that should have been used. Um, Matthew chapter 24 verse 10 says this, and then many will be offended. He's talking about the last times. He's talking about when, 
when, the, the, when things are winding down and the, this age, this present age is coming to an end, he says, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, to listen to your word and to hear your voice. And I pray that you would speak through me today. God, that it would be your spirit. That we would have ears to hear and a mind to understand and a heart to receive the word of God implanted that is saving our souls. That your word in us and your spirit in us would produce fruit. That a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives and know you are good. That a world that might argue our theology wouldn't be able to deny our love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus is talking and, and, and that word there, um, offense, is, we've talked about it before, it's that word scandalon or scandalizo. It comes from the same word and it's talking about the part of a trap that would hold the bait. And when Jesus was talking, he said, in this life, it's, uh, offenses will come. He's saying, it, that word there was that the bait into the trap will come. Like, in other words, that you cannot live this life and not have the opportunity to be offended presented to you. It's, it's impossible. He says it's impossible except that that opportunity, that bait, that lure into the trap will come. And he says, but woe to the one through whom it comes. In other words, the one who's in trouble isn't the person who's being tempted to be offended. The person who's in trouble is the one who is trying to lure someone into the offense or who has been offended and is now responding out of offense. And he says, woe to them. But, but he said it would happen. But here's the, the thing. We have a choice when somebody presents us an opportunity to be offended, to be offended or not. We have a choice to take the bait. Like, we don't have to be offended. It's a choice that we make because when we take the bait, we walk into the trap, and we place ourselves in a snare. It talks about that. It's, it's like, it's like a, being, a snare is triggered, and suddenly we're ensnared by it. But there, you never, just like somebody saying, well, that person made me so angry. No, you choose to allow anger a place in your heart. That person didn't make you angry. They presented you an opportunity to manifest what was inside of you and to yield to the spirit and respond in love or to yield to the flesh and respond in anger. No one ever made you mad. You chose it. I didn't choose it. It was just a natural response. Yeah, but there was something in your heart that already allowed that thing to be there so that when the opportunity came, it's what rose up in you. That's why Paul said, now put off all anger, malice, and wrath. Why? So that that doesn't have a place in your heart, so that when you are presented with an opportunity, it's not there to come out. What's there is love and grace and peace and joy, which is, which is only found by being filled with the Spirit of God. So I hate to tell you this, but they never made you angry. They presented you an opportunity, and you took the bait. No one ever made you offended. Now, they may have sinned against you. They may have done something wrong. They may have been completely out of line. But all they did was offer you an, offer, offer you an opportunity to take the bait and to become something you were never meant to be at the expense of who he died for you to be. And I, like, I feel very like, sober about this. Because Jesus said in the last days, many will become offended. He's not talking about people who say there is no God. Because later he says, and many will fall away. 
So he's talking about the church. He's talking about people who are professing to follow Jesus. And he's saying that many are going to become offended. And then he says that offense will cause them to betray one another. And then hate one another. Like literally it allows hatred a place in our heart. And it starts with offense. We, as much as we sometimes wish we could, we can't control others. That's why there's no control of others as a fruit of the Spirit. There's only self-control. I can't control what people do. I can't control what people say. But I can control myself and the way that I respond if I yield to the Spirit of God. Control of others is a spirit, to be sure. But it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's manipulation. It's witchcraft. It's I know best, so I'm going to tell you how everything should be and what you should do. And if you don't, then I'm going to be offended. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to fall into betrayal and hatred. And so if we know that's bad, I don't just want to talk about how bad it is. How do we avoid avoid becoming offended? I think one of the main ways, and there's a few I'm going to give, but one of the main ways that we do is by thankfulness. When I'm thankful for the grace of God every day, it becomes really hard for me to see others outside of that lens. When I wake up in the morning fully aware of everything that I've done and how much I've been forgiven, it becomes really hard for me to stumble over somebody doing so much less than I did and not respond in the way that the Father did to me when I did so much more. Like, literally, thankfulness guards our heart and our mind against offense. I can't wake up in the morning saying, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that while I was in sin, long before I knew I needed it, long before I turned and asked for it, you sent your son to die because you loved me. You didn't love some future version of me that you hated me until I got to that point. You loved me right where I was and had a plan for my life to lead me into who I was meant to be. But while I was there in sin, while I, even, I was so wrong, I didn't even know I was wrong. At that moment, you sent your son to die for me and to shed his blood for me. If I wake up in the morning thankful for that, what could somebody do that would move me from that place of gratitude for grace that would cause me to extend less than grace to them? So I have to forget the gospel to become offended. I have to. I have to stop yielding to the spirit of God and yield to my flesh to become offended. And listen, before a voice starts to speak in the back of your mind says, well, that's easy for you to say because you don't know or because you've never had to. How do you know? Like, how do you know when people are sharing the truth of God's word with you what they've had to walk through? Why? Because they haven't made it their story and put it on a banner? 
Like maybe grace really did cover a multitude of sin and you haven't heard about some of the things that people have had to walk through because they actually walked through it rather than camping out there and making it their address for a while. And here's the thing, if I have to go through the same thing that you went through in order for me to be able to speak truth, then that slims down who can speak into my life quite a bit, doesn't it? Well, you don't know because you never. You know what? I may not know because I may not have ever, but he knew and he did and he said. Like you literally will have people. I remember one time, the, the most egregious example is, was I was telling somebody about the response of Jesus to betrayal. And they said, well, Jesus was never married, so I wish he would have been. Because then, and I was like, are you kidding me? He came for his bride, stood in front of her, and saw her choose another man and ask for him to be killed. Like your spouse may have betrayed you, but probably not saying, I choose this person and I want him killed. Like, trust me, Jesus experienced, he was tempted in every way which is common to man, yet without sin. Meaning what? Everything that you've been tempted to be offended about, Jesus had to face. And yet was without sin because he never took the bait. And he never became ensnared. Why? Because he wasn't here for himself. Selfishness opens us up to offense. When life is about me getting what I want, I'll be easily offended. When life is about laying down my life for others to come to know him, I become really hard to offend. Thankfulness will affect our attitude. Like, our attitude's a huge deal. That's why Paul said, let this mindset, this attitude that was in Christ be also in you. Like, because our, like, just think about it. Think about, like, the big sins you've committed in your life, Right? Most of those were a one-time thing or a couple-time thing or whatever many times. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But they're like these, these big low points that you can point to. These, these like, you know, it was, you know the day that it happened or you know the season that it happened or the year that it happened, right? And, and, and as bad as those things are, our attitude affects every single day. Like, we'll, we'll be okay having an attitude in us that we can't find in Jesus, that affects every single day of our lives and every single one of our relationships and every single one of the decisions that we make, we'll be okay with that if we're not careful. Yet, look at like the big things that we did wrong and be like, man, I'm thankful that God delivered me from that. It's like, man, he didn't just die for your highlight film of sin. He died so that you could actually be completely transformed into the image of love. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure conscience and sincere faith. Like the whole goal of everything we learn is that we would become the love of God so that we can represent Jesus to the world. It's not so that one day we go to heaven, as amazing as that is, and that's an amazing hope that we have as born-again believers. And if there was nothing more to the gospel than that, that would be amazing enough. But it's so that our lives can actually be transformed into the image of Jesus now so that a world that is dying and doesn't know him could see us and see the Father. I must have took the wrong term, came to the Catholic Church this morning. 
a prideful, self-righteous attitude keeps me from walking in humility. And not walking in humility leaves me wide open for offense. Come on, when we walk in humility, it's really hard to offend us. When we walk in pride, we'll be offended over everything. If I'm denied myself, it makes me really hard to offend. Why? Life's not about me anymore. I'm not the most important part of every conversation. Me getting my way isn't Lord. Jesus is. When I've denied myself, that's why Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must first deny himself. When I've denied myself, I can actually follow Jesus. And if I'm following Jesus, it becomes really hard for me to be offended. I have to actually put my pursuit of Jesus on hold to become offended. Becoming offended will put my pursuit of Jesus on hold because it ensnares me in a trap. I can't do both. I can't follow Jesus and hold on to offense. I have to choose one or the other. And if I'm not choosing to follow Jesus, by default, I'll become offended. So what happens when somebody does something? I'll, I'll get into more stuff later next Next, well, Wayman's speaking next week, so I guess it'll be the following week. But Because sometimes people really do things that are bad. Sometimes people sin against us. Sometimes people betray us. Sometimes it's the people that are closest to us that we love the most. And they do something completely outside of the character and nature of Jesus. And we get hurt, and the temptation to be offended is being dangled right in front of us. And the temptation to be offended never says, hey, come get in the trap. The temptation to be offended sounds like, if they think they can just do that and get away with it. As if me becoming bitter and angry and not becoming like Jesus is somehow the answer that's going to cause them to become like him. Where it sounds like, well, if they, they should have known better. Yep, they should have, but they didn't. How is what somebody doesn't know supposed to keep us from acting forgiving? When we have an example of a Savior hanging on a cross, looking out at the people who hung him there, saying, Father, forgive them. They asked, they realized, so now you can forgive them. That's not what he said. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for us to hold on to unforgiveness and to become offended when people do things to us, whether they knew what they were doing or whether they didn't. Well, that was Jesus. Yeah, and he said, follow me. And there was a man named Stephen who must have somehow heard that example. Because all Stephen did was speak the truth. It wasn't what the Pharisees wanted to hear. What they wanted to hear was that they were right. What they wanted to hear was that Jesus wasn't the way, that he wasn't the son, that he wasn't the one who God sent, that he wasn't the Messiah. What they wanted to hear was that their system of laws and legalism and rules was still the way that was to be found, that we found righteousness in. What they wanted to hear was that they were the descendants of Abraham and they were clean and everybody else was dirty. What they wanted to hear was anything but the gospel of Jesus. And Stephen looks out at them and says, you know what, I know what it's going to cost me. I know they're not going to like hearing this. 
but I can't change the truth, so I'm going to tell them what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear, and even if it costs me my life, they have to hear the truth because the truth is the only thing that sets people free. So he declares the gospel, he declares Jesus, he talks all about how he is the Messiah, and he points all through scripture, and he shows them their wrong, he shows them their error, with nothing but love in his heart for them, and it says that while he's speaking truth to them, they begin gnashing their teeth. Like they're so angry at the truth, they're so offended by the truth that they're gnashing their teeth, they're literally grinding their teeth in anger and going around and picking up stones. Because they would rather shut up the voice of truth than allow it to penetrate their heart and deal with what's inside of them. And so they go around picking up stones and they lay their coats at the feet of a young Pharisee named Saul. He gives approval to the stoning. And they come towards Stephen and they've got, they've got absolute hatred in their eyes and murder in their hearts and they're gnashing and grinding their teeth because they're so offended by the truth. Why? Because offense leads to betrayal. Betrayal leads to hatred. And hatred leads to murder. And all they want to do is stop the voice of truth from speaking. Because if they keep listening, they may have to actually deal with something inside of them. And they would rather be right in their own eyes than be made right by the blood of Jesus. Come on, that's a sad place to be. It's a sad place to be when the truth gets spoken and the response is anger and betrayal and gnashing of teeth to the point where they pick up stones. But here's the amazing thing about Stephen. He didn't just preach the gospel when it was convenient, when it cost him nothing. And he didn't just preach the gospel with words. No one would have blamed him when they started picking up stones if he would have just ran away. If he would have got back to the rest of them at dinner and been like, whew, just seen earlier as a group of Pharisees, I was preaching the gospel to them. They were so mad. They had already laid their coats at Saul's feet. He had already given approval for them to stone me. They had already collected their stones. And I dipped. I got out of there. I ran as fast as I could, but seeds were sown. Nobody would have blamed him for that. But he doesn't. He just stands there. I want to I read this line. Oh, I have so much more to get to in the, in the, in the next couple weeks. Because there really are some tangible, practical things we can do to make sure that we're not being offended by something that we have chose to be offended by. It's, it's in Acts 7. I have so many pages of notes, it's unbelievable. It really is. That was my cue for whoever's running words to put it up on the screen because in 17 pages of notes, here we go. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. In other words, when they heard the truth, it pierced their heart. But rather than responding in humility, they responded in pride and decided rather than allowing that hurt to drive them to Jesus, they would allow that hurt to drive them to sin to offense. 
But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Standing at the right hand of God. Not seated at the right hand of God like everybody else. He's standing. Why? Because he sees someone who's about to respond the way that he gave the example. And I believe he was so excited because now it's not just words. Now someone is actually saying, I'll love my own life, not unto death. Says he's standing. I think Jesus was cheering. I think Jesus was encouraging him and saying, Keep going, Stephen. It'll be worth it. Keep going, Stephen. Don't turn your back. Keep going, Stephen. Don't get offended. Keep going, Stephen. Don't take the bait. Keep going, Stephen. Don't love your own life. Keep going, Stephen. I promise you, you're so close to seeing how worth it it all is. Keep going, Stephen. Keep going. Because he looks up and he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out in a loud voice and covered their ears. Why do they have to cover their ears? Because if I keep listening to that truth, Eventually, it'll confront me, and I've already made up my mind to be offended, so now I'm just going to cover my ears and do what I've decided on. And they rushed at him with one loud voice and covered their ears, or they, they cried out in one loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse, impulsive, impulsive. That cut me to the quick, I lashed back. I didn't like the way that made me feel. I'm covering my ears. Impulsive. Not led by the Spirit. Not taking some time and seeking the Lord. Impulsive. That's what offense is. Act on impulse. Act on feeling. I don't like the way that made me feel. I don't like the way they said that. Come on, we live in a culture I can't go into that. I promise you, in, a co- in two weeks. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So maybe it's not just Jesus. They are 100% wrong. You realize how many times in life when there is an opportunity to be offended that you are 100% right and they are 100% wrong? It's pretty rare. But in this instance, they are 100% wrong and he is 100% right. And yet all he can think of, I don't want them to suffer for this. I don't want to see them punished for this. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. They're about to kill me. Like they literally have nothing but hatred and anger in their eyes. And they're hurling stones at him. Who would have blamed him for lashing out in that moment? Who would have blamed him for defending himself in that moment? Who would have blamed him for doing anything other than what he did? I don't think anybody would have blamed him for what, how he responded in that moment as they're literally crushing him with stones when all he has done is speak truth to them. And instead, it says he falls to his knees. And you've got to realize, like, this isn't some play. This isn't just in there to make the Bible a little bit more. In- like, this is literally happening to a physical man in real time 
And it says he, he falls to his knees. He's being crushed by the weight of stones that are being thrown. And he looks out at them. And not because they realized they were wrong. And not because they asked for it. And not because they deserved it. But because he loved them. He says, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. So maybe it's not just for Jesus. Maybe it's not just for Stephen. Maybe it's for his bride to become so gripped by the love of God and the grace that was shown to us that no matter how people would treat us, our response is to become like the one who gave his life for us. Stephen is 100% right. He's being led by the Spirit of God. He's filled with the Spirit. He's doing what he was asked to do by the church. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus. He's, he's out of love for people, telling them the error of their ways and pointing them to the truth. And, 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 and you know how many times when we do something that we feel is right and people respond back to us with a whole lot less than stones? We allow the attitude of, well, if that's what they're going to do, if that's, what, if, if, if that's going to be how they're going to respond, then I'll just, and it's like, man, come on. I thought you weren't doing it for their response anyways. I thought you were doing it in response. I didn't realize it was manipulation and that their responding rightly could cause you to respond wrong or right, depending on how they respond to what you're doing. I thought it was love. I thought you were just loving them. And they kill him. And he never defended himself. He never asked God to punish them. He never wished ill upon them. He never got entangled. He never got ensnared because he never got offended. Why? Because his motive was pure. His heart was sincere. And he had nothing but love for them because he had nothing but love shown to him. I just promise you, if Jesus said it was going to happen, the opportunity is going to come for there to be offense. And because of that offense, betrayal. And because of the betrayal, hatred. And then it leads to some pretty serious things because the next verse says, then many false prophets will arise. Then when? Then when people have an offended heart and hatred in their heart, it'll give room for false prophets. Because when I'm offended, I will always look for a voice that confirms my offense rather than the voice of truth that confronts my right to be offended. I'm, it's sobering and it is serious. And it starts with offense. It starts with giving ourselves permission to hold something against people all while thanking God that he doesn't hold things against us. Giving ourselves permission to not freely give what we freely received and to be less than love because of what they did. I don't know what they did, but I promise you worse than what they did is that thing reproducing inside of you and now changing you. Like it's, like, let's just say they were completely wrong and what they did was completely wrong and it was sin. You were completely right. That's a revelation of their heart. That's a revelation of where they are. That's a revelation of brokenness inside of them. Why would you let what's wrong with them change what's right in you? 
It's bad enough that that spirit has a hold on them. Worse than that would be that spirit getting its grips on you and you living in response to that rather than in response to him. So let's just stand real quick. I just want to pray over us as a church. And in two weeks when I get to the rest of the message, I want to go through some really practical things on how we stay free from offense. Because there's some really practical steps that we can find in the word of God of how we stay free from it and what to do if we ever find ourselves in snare. But Father, I'm just praying right now in a world that is looking for and dwelling on what's wrong, that we would be people of the word that would look for and dwell on what's right. If it's true, is it pure? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Brothers and sisters, dwell on, meditate on, talk about these things. Meaning what? If it's not true, if it's not excellent, if it's not worthy of praise, don't give it another thought. Don't dwell on it, don't meditate on it, don't talk about it. Why? Because nothing is ever gained by constantly really reliving what is wrong. And it allows offense another day to keep us trapped. So if there's anyone in here right now, and, and when I'm talking about this, you've had that thought, but you don't know. I don't, but he does. And he called you to love. But they, I know. And that was horrible. But even worse is that that's still controlling your narrative today long after the thing that they did. What's worse is that that voice is still speaking louder than the voice of truth, than the voice of grace, than the voice of love. What's worse is that that thing is shaping and pottering and molding you when he is the potter and we're the clay. Father, I just pray right now that if we have taken the bait, if we've become offended, if we've allowed bitterness, anger, hatred, malice, wrath, any of those things that your word tells us to put off, a place in our heart and a place in the lens that we see three people through, Father, that we would allow the grace that was extended to us to flow through us and to be freely extended. If it's true that they're wrong, if it's true that they're in sin, then they're already in a cage. And a man in a cage doesn't need me to hop in a cage to set him free. A man in a cage needs someone who's walking free to help set him free. When I become the result of what was done to me by others rather than the result of what was done for me by Jesus, I cannot be part of the answer. I can only make the problem worse. So Father, we just repent for allowing ourselves to hold on to anything that's not of you. God, I'm asking that we would see people through the lens that you see us through. Through grace and mercy, through love and kindness. God, that we wouldn't ever back down from speaking truth, but we wouldn't let the rejection of it change our heart because then it can't change theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.